As an engineering leader, you know firsthand that achieving work-life balance can be hard. Many business owners struggle with the balance between their personal lives and their work. This leads to stress and a feeling of regret. But that's not the case for the listeners of the Engineer Your Success podcast with Dr. James Bryant. This podcast provides tools, tips, and techniques to help you achieve success both in business and in life. Tune in. Let's engineer your success today. I want to welcome you to the Engineer Your Success podcast. My name is Dr. James Bryant, your host for the show. As you know, I've been talking about bringing on more guest episodes. And so today is going to be one of those guest episodes. This young man I met at the National Society of Professional Engineers Conference. Uh, I met him in August and we both were speakers at the conference. He attended my session. I attended his session. We kind of hit it off and have just continued to build a friendship from there. And we found out we have had more things in common just in the conference. But before I tell you about that, I'm going to ask Mr. Charles Jackson to introduce himself to you, our podcast audience. So Charles, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. First of all, thank you, James, for uh, inviting me onto this podcast. I'm a newly subscribed listener over the past couple yes. of months, but I've, I've been enjoying what I've heard. So I'm glad to eventually now be a part of it and hopefully more to come. Thank you. So, thank you. Yeah. So like you said, we met at Nesty, but what hit it off is we're both originally from Philly. Yep. Uh, yep. Living in the, I'm now, I'm living in the DOD area. You're more in the Richmond area. Yeah. And then we both went to Drexel. Yes. I think, you know, you can't go wrong with that. Or we're both Eagles fans. Yes. You know, yes. Any combination of those three is great. Uh, so I can remember attending Charles's presentation and listening to him talk about Drexel. So for those of you that don't know, I started college at Drexel. I'm originally from Philadelphia. I went to George Carver High School of George Washington Carver High School of Engineering and Science and then started at Drexel University. Eventually I transferred to North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, where I finished my bachelor's in civil engineering. But that Philadelphia Drexel connection, plus being an Eagle fit, Eagles fan, really kind of hit home and locked us in. As you said, I went to uh, Drexel University, graduated uh, 2005 electrical engineering, and start, started that journey there. I started off. Funny thing is, unlike most engineers, I'm like, after engineering, I want to take a break from engineering. Mm -hmm. I actually worked as a distributor for a year okay. where I looked at, you know, did uh, quotes on switch gears, uh, quotes on cabling okay. and, a, and a lot of, a lot of different things. And with that knowledge, I was like, well, now let me time to use it, use my degree. So I moved out to the DC area, worked for a small consultant company, uh, did like churches, uh, small uh, renovations on like strip malls. Okay. And then eventually I uh, got a call from the Pentagon and said, Hey, would you be interested in commission? I didn't know what that was at the time, mm -hmm. but uh, I wanted, I had an opportunity to work at the Pentagon. So worked for the Pentagon renovation program. And from there, I started building up commissioning, finding that there's other parts of engineering. That's not just your typical design. Yeah. That, that, that was very interesting for me. So, so Charles, so for, for, for those that don't know, could you describe in a little bit more detail what commissioning is? It's it's basically uh, the simple simple way to say it is it's kind of the testing and validation of your design. Okay. So it's and in the doc in the documentation as well. So it's like a owner pays for a building, 
the owner gets the building built. But before they move in, they want to know that everything works. They want to know that the lighting control systems work. They want to know that the HVAC system works. They will, and outside of actually functionally testing it and documenting the process, there's no true way to guarantee that it works. Okay. So, so what we do is kind of at this day and time, uh, the system's working. We provide all the documentation to turn over to the owner so that they know that they have a working building and then they can use that documentation to help them run the building going forward. So what happens if during that process, something doesn't work? You would think something doesn't work. You know, everyone built it, you know, you know, know, they built it. I don't, you know, I don't even know why commissioning it was a thing because everything should be perfect. You paid for it. They built it. It should work. Right. But unfortunately in the real world, that really happens. Mm -hmm. So, so we, we kind of doc, you know, that's where the documentation part is the one of a big part of the commissioning process. Okay. And that documentation, the issues, tracking the resolution of it meeting with the engineers, meeting with the architects, meeting with all all parties, meeting with the owners and, and the contractors to come to a resolution on these issues. Are these issues acceptable? Is this issue an uh, issue based off of the actual design or is this an issue from, you know, faulty equipment, faulty construction? So there are just all, all different type of intricacies that, that you, you know, you'll see throughout the commissioning process. Okay. But one of the best things about that is as an engineer, you actually get hands-on experience in commissioning. So before, when I was doing design, when I first started, you know, I didn't know what a, a BFD looked like, or you know, it just was a box in the drawing to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, eventually, eventually, as I got more hands-on experience, I was able to take that and kind of did commissioning for about about 15, 10, 10 to fifteen years. But now I'm back more in the project management side. Like I currently uh, lead the electrical department with CMTA, and uh, also you know I still I still involved in commissioning, but now kind of kind of took a full circle where I started in design, kind of left design for a bit. Now I'm back, you know, looking at design and you know do commissioning here and there. Oh, you know that's awesome because it gives you kind of a big picture view of what you're dealing with. You, you've done the schoolwork, the the academic and the, the theory, then you yeah. designed it. Now you're looking at these systems in place and saying, yeah, these are good. These are not. And you get to understand what are some of the things that may trip you up uh, in that process. Now you're able to kind of build out the unit that you're building out now with a much fuller picture. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it's fun. Like it's, it's so funny. You can work on a thousand different buildings, all the same size, you know, the same, same equipment in there and they're ran a thousand different ways. Okay. So we met at the national society of professional engineers conference. And so let's talk about your, your journey in terms of taking the, the FE or the EIT exam in the PE, how was that journey for you? Oh, it was it was a journey uh, less traveled, you know, as, as they say. It wasn't the smart way to do it. So, you know, first free advice out there is if you're in school, try to take that be while you're in there. Don't wait, <laughs> <laughs> you know, while while it's fresh in your mind, it's always record, you know. And that's one of the things when I talk to anybody in college or anybody, you know, just starting in the engineering uh, field. Take it down before, you know, kids, life and all of that stuff happens. But uh, for me, I waited about five to uh, five years, tried to take the FE, 
thought it was just like college. Like, hey, I can just go out there, you know, I'll show up, mm-hmm. take it, and got got my first rejection. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. So then I'm like, ah, you know, okay, let me put a little more time in. So the weekend before, I'm going to study. Okay. <laughs> the next time I took it. <laughs> yeah. So and, wait a minute. That the, didn't the, work. The first time you just showed up, and all your greatness, you just showed up. Boom! I'm gonna take it. And so the second time. You know what? I'm going to study the weekend before. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure I get that. <laughs> you got it. And then that, that's exactly how it happened. And then somehow I'm surprised I didn't pass it the second time as well. But at the time, did you really think you were going to pass it? Yep. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, 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 you know, I'm like, I just got to look over it a little bit and then it'll come to me. Okay. Because, you know, in, co- in college, you, you, you're kind of reading stuff and as you get through it, and once you understand it, it you know, it, it it was able to come to me a, a lot easier, but you know, as you get older, you know, you got competing priorities, hanging out with friends, traveling, stuff of that nature, and have the actual focus. Yeah, and I think part of it is is reps under pressure. So when you're yeah. in school, you're going through that material in a much more regimented way. You're still hanging out with your friends, you're doing stuff, but you're studying for classes, and the people around you are studying for classes. Yeah. So you have those reps and it makes it a little bit easier to make that transition. So first time, no study and didn't pass. Second time, studied the weekend before, didn't pass. Why didn't you give up? Well, because I don't like to quit. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, it, it, it obviously I need to change something about how I'm doing, you know, how I'm taking this process and I need to take it seriously. So for my FE, I kind of you know, now this was about maybe about two or three years later. So that's it. It was over, uh, you know, a couple of years. And I was like, I need to really get focused where I can spend that time, start going to the library. And I spent about maybe a month to two months. And then I took it and, and I passed it. And it was funny. When I started taking it, you had to go, you had to go to a, a spot in Maryland mm-hmm. and everybody's sitting there. By the time I finally passed it, it was all on the computer. All online. <laughs> <laughs> so that just tells you. But but then once once I had that confidence of passing it, yeah. it pushed me towards, okay, now I did this for, I want to get my professional engineering license. It, it, it was important to me to just continue this journey throughout. And the PE, now this time, I spent a little more time, okay? I didn't just walk in there. Mm-hmm. So the first time, you know, I scheduled it, gave it about a couple of weeks. <laughs> okay. And, and that wasn't successful. Mm-hmm. So, so then I kind of gave it a month, but it was kind of on and off. And it was like, I'll study here and there, but it wasn't a regiment thing. So okay. unfortunately, didn't pass at that time. So then I was like, you know what? Let me get serious about it. I haven't been in, at this point, it's been not 10 years I haven't been in school. Yeah. So I decided to, uh, you know, invest in taking a, a training course. Yeah. Where I, so now I'm back in school. I'm studying every night. I'm kind of spending a little bit more time. And um, I was I was extremely close. You know, they don't give you the exact score. Yeah. But but they tell you, you know, OK, here, here you go. And it was like and I started reading those uh, th- those little statistics down there. You know, after you take it, you know, one time the, the chance of passing decreases every time. And, yeah. you know, so now I'm at the four, four percent, four percentile of people that actually pass it after, you know, your third, fourth time. OK, but you took it again. Because I'm like, hey, at this point, you know, maybe it's the stubborn Philly guy in me. I'm like, at this point, I'm either going to die or I'm going to pass. Oh, I I think that is extremely resilient. And 
really speaks to your drive of not giving up and not giving in. I can imagine just any other time that you're facing something that's tough, you can always look to this experience that you've had with the FE and the PE as something to look back on to build off of. So eventually you pass. Was it something different that yeah, you I did? Passed, I, I passed it immediately, like the next time. And, and the only thing that changed a little bit different was, yeah, I, I took the class, I, you know, and I, I kind of, the good thing is it had a free, if you pass, you get to take it again. Yes. So, yeah, so, so that was, so I was like, okay, well, this is my last time, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. but uh, what I did was I had to change my scenario, you know, change my surroundings. So I was like, working at home wasn't the best way for me. I had to start going to the library, maybe spend time after work. And I tried to kind of treat it, treat it a, a lot, a lot, you know, a lot more serious. And eventually with that, I came in there and I was able, I pat, you know, it was pretty simple. And I was able to take that and take other certifications with that same, uh, taking it seriously, putting the time in. And I, you know, now I, I think I'm running out of space of letters, or, you know, <laughs> you, you do, you do have quite a few letters. Uh, behind but your name, all, but I think it all started with that, with getting that F <laughs> Yeah, I think it's great, man, because what you're saying is that you recognize you needed to take it seriously. Then you started putting the time in and the effort. Then you also realized that from in a, the environment that you were in wasn't conducive to you studying the way that you needed to study. You know, whether it was working from home, you know, you, you yeah. realized you had to make that change and you made the change. Uh, and that is great. And listen, you are not alone in not passing the FE the first time. Neither did I. Not passing the PE the first time. Neither did I. Nobody yeah. ever goes back and says, how many times <laughs> did you take the PE? Nope. They don't even say, what was your score on the PE? It was, you passed. Pass. Yep. Right. <laughs> right. My you score your, was passed. Yes. Like, here's your, your, your license. You're good to go. Yep. No, I, I mean, that's great. So if there's somebody listening and they're struggling, right? They, maybe they're having some anxiety about taking the FE or the PE, or they've taken it and they weren't able to pass. What advice would you have for them? I think the biggest advice is just don't get discouraged. Uh, a piece of paper, a test doesn't prove whether you're smart or not. It, it's just it's just sometimes it's how you interpret it. But it also don't give up. It's one thing like, OK, I had to change my surroundings because I was like, I can't really study and have TV on or, you know, hearing music from the na neighbors. So I had to kind of get in a quiet environment. And, and that's what worked for me. But experiment with different things. If you spent a month studying, maybe let's try two months. You know, it's one of those things where uh, keep changing those things and, and eventually you're going to find what works for you. And that's what I found that I needed that quiet time where I could actually sit down and kind of uh, get focused. And I, I know I'm a morning person. So a lot of times I would force myself to get up in the morning, read a couple chapters. So you got to find what works for you and work with your schedule. And at the end of the day, <laughs> one failed test is not going to kill you. You keep taking it, you know, and, you, and eventually you, you'll get the goal that, that, that you desire. But it's all about the effort and continue to put in work and don't get discouraged. No, I think that is great advice. So as you have continued to evolve in your career, could could you tell us some of the qualities that you've seen in 
good managers? So I think I think one of the biggest qualities is being able to relate to your current staff. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, you know, I, I've been in experience where I've done this one way. So this is the way everybody and just because you, you know, just because you work 80 hours a week doesn't mean that was the right thing to do. And yeah. it's and it, it, having that expectation on the, on the people that you manage might not always work. So I found that the the best managers I found are you know empathetic. They're kind of understanding, but they're also very good at communicating, uh, very good at ex- uh, setting expectations, explaining, but also being there as a resource, not uh, never making you feel like you're too busy or you know it's it's that this question beneath me could go to someone else. So I think. Those are the best managers that I've dealt with. And that's as a manager myself, that's how I try to, you know, approach things. Well, we're going to make the transition to you as a manager. So you being a manager, were these traits innate to you or did you have to learn them? Did you just show up in management and saying, okay, I'm going to be a great listener. I'm going to be able to set the stage. I'm going to be able to make the connection. What were the issues in management that you struggled with? Well, so I think... I think, well, f- well, the first part is I think as managing starts as as young as playing like youth basketball, right? You know, mm-hmm. learning how to deal with people. So I think the biggest thing is how do you relate to people? So if, no matter what discipline you are, how do you how do you connect with people? So for me, that part was a little easy to me. And, that, and it's maybe just because I've been in diverse situations. Like I said, one of the things going to Drexel, you're meeting people from all different cultures. Yes, you are. So, so being able to, you know, taking some of that experience, that's kind of how that that part came easy to me. But it's understanding like deadlines, understanding, you know, when to have the hard line, when to be, you know, when to be rigid, when to be more loose on things. Those are the type of things that over time it took me. And it also took me, you know, to kind of understand how it is to remember how it is to be in that shoe. Yeah. So I think that's one that's one of the biggest things as a manager. You forget that, you know, you weren't always that manager. So you have to sometimes go back to, how, you know, how you're looking at things, you know, and what your perspective is. Yeah, because the expectation, I think, at times we all do this. This is both in business and in life. Sometimes when we communicate, there's an expectation that, the person we're communicating to has the full context that we have when we're communicating. So you may be saying something and speaking from your 15 years of experience commissioning and doing design, and you think it's simple to communicate that concept. The person that you're talking to is looking at you trying to figure out what in the world is he talking about or how does that relate to these other issues? Because they don't understand the full context. And when you talk about communication, and when you understand that that person may not have the context, that just helps you provide some additional context in your conversation and communication with that person. And, and one thing also to add is understanding that there's a communication difference between your different roles. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, being able to communicate from a coworker to, you know, peer to peer versus a manager yes. to an you know, employee, that, 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 that's where you have to understand it. You might not get the best response sometimes. Because it's it's a different level of communication. So sometimes yeah. you might have to kind of create that group setting, create that, you know, ease that initial barrier to, to, to be able to communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about the topic you presented on at the conference. 
So this is one of my favorite topics. And it's it was, it was like the social manager managing the next generation. And it's just because I'm kind of at that midpoint in my career where I've, I've seen the old way of doing stuff and I see kind of the new generation. And, you know, so being at that point is an interesting vantage point where I get to see that, okay, I see the upper, the senior level, the managers are expecting a lot of the newer employees to do the stuff that they did. Mm-hmm. And I see the newer employees, like, you know, it's a different day and age. <laughs> so I, like, that's not know, happening, bro. That's not happening. And one of the big things from that presentation that was so shocking to me, and one number I remember, I think roughly around 120 to 150,000 of the Gen Z entering the workplace for, you know, architectural and engineering. Mm-hmm. But there was that baby boomer age, that 55 and up, it's about like 500, you know, over 500,000 of people that are currently in a workplace that, you know, within the next 10 years, they'll be exiting. They'll be gone. Yeah. And just like simple econ, supply and demand. So, you know, uh, uh, we understand that we did it a certain way or you might have done it in a certain way, but that's that means nothing to the new generation. And they kind of have a lot more leverage than they, than they ever had before. Yeah, because when you look at workforce issues and statistics like you just stated, that's just going to continue to drive demand. And the industry has to continue to adapt so that you can attract the workers that you want, the quality of the workers that you want, because the, the quality uh, team members are going to be really a sought-after commodity. So you're going to have to create that environment that will really be attractive for people to want to work for your organization. And and one of the biggest things I've learned is just being open. It's like, you have to be open to anyone's idea because just because we do, I've done it a certain way or someone else has done it a certain way, doesn't mean this person who's never done it before doesn't have the best idea out of all. Because it depends, you know, people come from all different walks of life. And those solutions. So I think I try to, you know, foster that op- open environment and dealing with the new, gen- with this generation is, it's a lot easier for me just because I'm receptive to a lot of the things that, that they bring and that they tell me. And, you know, you actually take that and, uh, you know, tr- try, tr- try to implement it. And I imagine that you're also able to translate what the younger generation is saying and how they prefer things to the older generation that may be expecting different demands. And you find oh. yourself in the middle as the translator. Oh. oh, it's the biggest tug of war in the world. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it, I don't always win. <laughs> but at the same time, I've learned how to relate that more with that numbers base. Like you want retention, you want to bring in recruitment. These are things you have to do. These are not, you know, non-starters. Yeah. And those are things that kind of, you know, it kind of eases the thing. It, it, it eases the conversation at that point. Okay. No, I think that's great. Would you, I guess, outside of workforce issues, what you, you've talked about that, we've mentioned that. What are some of the other challenges you see that may be impacting your industry? Hi, this is James, and I want to give you a personal invitation to come to the next Success or Ramp. These are small group complimentary monthly meetings to help you win at work and at home. Are you interested in setting and achieving goals in building habits that stick? 
becoming a more powerful communicator? Listen, you do not have to do this alone. Register for the next success on ramp today and join other like-minded people who are on the road to achieve success both in business and in life. Use the link in the show notes to grab your spot today. I think one of the biggest things are burnout and it's because like everybody wants stuff faster. We all, you know, we all, we all get our prime so we can get our deliveries in two days. So clients, <laughs> they're paying you. They want these buildings built in, in, in you know, maybe not two days, but a couple months. Yeah, they're there's urgency. Is, there is urgency yeah. there. Yes. So, so not actually stepping back to, okay, you know, uh, these some realistic deadlines, and that's just industry-wide. Everybody wants these things. But that trickle-down effect is we're pushing and pushing people to work harder, work longer, and it's not sustainable. So I think that is, that is one of the biggest things in our industry and in engineering. It's getting tough. So what do you do to, one, stave off burnout for yourself? And then the second part of that is going to be, how do you help your team uh, not get burned out? So, and then like I said, I, I hate to take from uh, your presentation that you did at Nesby, but one of the big things that I, I do, and I was glad that you were able to talk on it, was uh, I, I prioritize myself. Yeah. So th- that's one of the big things I put in my calendar. And I, you know, one of the funny, when, even when I took the job, I was like, these are things I like to do. I like to work out in the morning. You know, these are things that are important to me. That you know, I'll I'll work you know I'll work later, but in the morning I like to hit the gym. I like to you know there are certain things I do. I try my best every now and then. If I feel like I missed something, I might work on the weekends. But for the most part, I try to you know I, I try to work during the week and give myself that time to relax. And I also put it in my schedule, so I I put I'm unavailable. And those are things that for me that helps me combat burnout because I know when I'm going to stop. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And for those of you who are watching the YouTube clip, you can see the big smile on my face because, <laughs> you know, you're you're speaking exactly what I, I would counsel my clients to do. So the presentation that I gave at the conference was the engineer's blueprint, success principles for winning at work and at home. And one of the things that I really talk about is that it is not selfish for you to take care of yourself. I think the most selfish thing that you can do is actually not take care of yourself. Because when you don't take care of yourself, you don't have the energy, you don't have what you need to show up for the other people, including work and family in your life. No, I, I, t- I totally agree. And that's, and that's kind of what I try to preach is that I'm like, yes, we're going to push these deadlines. We're going to do what we can to get it done. But at the end of the day, take time for yourself. Like if there's a Friday, like, you know, we're having to record just on a Friday. I walked around the office. I was like, hey, it's uh, it's like two, three o'clock. No one, you know, no big deliverables. Everybody enjoy yourself. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. so th- those, are th- those are the type of things, those small wins, celebrating everybody like, hey, you did a great job. Hey, let's go out to eat. You know, those, those small things can go a long way to save burnout and also pushing back. It's like one of, one of my biggest pet peeves uh, in this industry is a Friday close of business deliverable. <laughs> so yeah, does any, you know, no one has shown me that person that 
at Friday at five, when they received all this information, they made that decision that Friday. No, they, they don't make the decision on that Friday. They, they don't, probably look, don't at look, it. They don't look at it until Tuesday. <laughs> so, so, so those are the things that, you know, those are things we try to be realistic. We try to, I try to push back and be an advocate for my employees. And, you know, sometimes I might take the brunt of the criticism from our clients and stuff of that nature. But at the same time, I understand what's going on in our office, going on with my team. And I have to make the best decision for my team. And we, then we, we can't be productive if we don't have a team. No, I, I think that is great. And just to kind of summarize one of the key, some of the key points that you said is that you prioritize your self-care. There are not a lot of men that talk about prioritizing self-care, right? So I'm glad that you and I are having this conversation. You prioritize your self-care. You put it in the calendar. You have created a boundary around those things that are important to you. And you've communicated that to your employer and to your team. Everybody knows. So nobody's in the dark, right? Everybody knows and nobody's in the dark. And so if, if a person, if you're listening to this podcast and you're struggling with burnout, these are some steps that you can start taking today to help create a situation where you can alleviate some of that stress. Yeah. And, and like I said, it, it wasn't easy. It, it, it got a lot easier for me through my years of experience, of course, where you kind of understood, okay, I, I was that guy staying there late. You know, those are things that it's not sustainable. So in my career, it's a lot easier to do it. But my biggest regret is I didn't do this early. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, I challenge anyone to come in like, Hey, these are, these are things I have to do. And, and most people are understandable when you put it like that and, and you don't have to compromise. When you, when you set those boundaries and people know that that's your boundary, you're not doing it because you're mean or mean spirited or you don't want to work hard. You're putting in the effort, but here, here are the boundaries that I'm setting. What I have found, and this is when I was working uh, in industry, when I was able to set those boundaries, the organization's begin to work around those boundaries. They respect, they respect the boundaries that you respect. And if you don't put those boundaries in there, you may be doing yourself a disservice and you may not be allowing your organization to kind of work around those boundaries. Or grow. Or, you know, one of the biggest things that if, if someone, just for example, so we're in the design and you, you put like some hours to do a project. So if this person continues to get done this project, you know, it meets every deliverable, even though we don't, un unbeknownst to us, that they're working, you know, 50, 60 hours, 70 hours to get yeah. this deliverable done by this week. It's, it's, it's actually doing a disservice because now we're thinking that's how long it actually takes, you know, that, mm -hmm. that the original time. And then we're going to continue, we're going to continue to uh, pr make proposals, creating, you know, so. It's just a cycle effect where that needs to be known, that needs to be expressed. Hey, we need more time to get this done. Hey, this is James, and I'm here to help you win at work and at home. Let's connect. You can use the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary session. We're going to walk through the steps that it's going to take for you to start thriving so you can engineer your success and live the life that you love. Come on, sign up today. Yeah, I think that is a beautiful example of just the whole breadth of communication 
it, if a person is spending 70 hours finishing up that project and you don't know that this taken 70 hours to finish that project, then you continue to keep pursuing <laughs> projects and they continue to, to, to think, man, I, I keep spending all of this time on projects. Don't they know? But they won't know unless you tell them. Yeah. No, I, I think that is beautiful, man. I, listen, I've really enjoyed our time together today and we're going to start going towards wrapping up uh, this interview. Are there any words of wisdom that you have for our listening audience? I think the biggest thing is for me and just in my career, just never giving up. I think anything you want to do, you, you set your mind to it, but you can't just want to do it. Write down a plan, you know, create a plan, you know, put some action behind it and you'll get it done. All right. You heard it there. Write down the plan, put some action behind it and you will get it done. Charles, I'm going to close this podcast like I close every podcast. And that is this. Many people know what to do. Fewer people know how to do it. And there's a select group of people that actually follow through, do it, and are living the life of their dreams. Charles, I want to thank you for being part of that select few. And by your words of wisdom, you are helping others that are listening to this podcast journey down that path as well. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate being on. Look forward to many more to come. All right. Okay. This is Dr. James Bryant, your guide for winning at work and at home. You be great this week. Thank you for listening to Engineer Your Success with Dr. James Bryant. Do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Many people know what to do. Fewer people know how to do it and a small fraction of people actually do it. I believe that you can have success both in business and in life, and it's my passion to guide you on your path to engineering your success. Thanks.